Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Vulgar History, feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and this is part two of Q's and A's from the Tits Out Brigade. So as I explained last time, there is a couple of coinciding things. Like firstly, we reached 1 million listens of the podcast. Secondly, we're halfway through the international season. Thirdly, depending how you count, this is maybe the 50th like episode, excluding super specials. Not sure. Um, And also, I just needed a bit more time to get the next few episodes ready. So, more questions from all of you. This time we dive into some Canadian history, uh, more information about me and who I would do various things with, who are people on the podcast. Anyway, enjoy and thank you for sending me your questions. Oh, here's a good question from True Crime Saskatchewan, which, side note, you shall follow. I'm from Saskatchewan. Uh, my friend Melanie runs this account. Saskatchewan is a place not unlike Cabot Cove, Maine in Murder, She Wrote, where there's just, like, historically, a lot of really weird farm-based murders. Anyway, True Crime Saskatchewan, you should follow. And she asks, why are the Habsburgs your sworn enemy? And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the podcast because I think this a lot fucking hate the Habsburgs they're everywhere so many stories I research it's just like and like these German princes like the Habsburgs are just like all over Western European history they're like a family that are just I don't know it's just there's so many princes they married people and then they wound up being in charge of everywhere or something I don't know because I hate them so much I've never read about them it's just whenever I'm reading a story and it's just like Habsburg I'm like goddamn Habsburgs it's like they keep they're just everywhere. They're, um, I am going to be talking about a Habsburg later this season. And the story is good. And it's going to force me to learn about the Habsburgs. And I'm not happy about it. But they're just fucking everywhere. It's just like every story you read, you're just like, doop 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 Habsburg. It's like when I'm doing an episode and it's like, oh, another man named Miguel. Oh, he's also named Miguel. Like, great. This is going to be great for a podcast. If literally everyone is named Miguel. It's just like the Habsburgs, but they're in every story. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. I can't deal with it. I hate them. Question from Hex Gurley, who asks, which vulgar history woman changed your life slash perspective the most? And that is absolutely my girl, Tits Out Frances Howard. So the road that brought me to hosting this podcast, (laughs) a significant moment on it was when I first learned about Frances Howard. So I had been writing these essays on my website, annfosterwriter.com. Um, like since I was watching Rain. So Rain was on TV and I had a gig for a while writing TV recaps about it. And then the site I was recapping for folded, but I was like, well, Rain is in its final season. I need to write about it. So I started a website to like write my Rain recaps on. And then when that finished, I was like, well, what if I write about like women from history, I guess. 
And so I was kind of like, at that point, you know, now I'm like a pro at it. I like finding interesting people. But at that point, I was like, hmm, I don't know. Who do I want to learn about? And it was less about, it was entirely who do I want to learn about? It wasn't like, who do I want to tell other people about? It was like, who do I, what's a story that I think will be fun? So it's like exactly what I do for the podcast now. It's like, I find a story that seems fun. I have fun researching it and then I get to tell it to you. And then 10 minutes later, I forgot about it. Kind of like writing an exam. So Francis Howard was the first like truly obscure figure that I encountered. So before then, I'd been reading about like the, the Wives of Henry VIII or like Mary Queen of Scots or like um, even Elizabeth Bathory, like more better known uh, people about whom biographies had been written. There are some biographies about Francis Howard now, but she was just like, that was like a, that is kind of what pivoted me into being like, wait, who else is cool like this that I've never heard about? So, um, yeah, Francis Howard. But then also, honestly, in the way that I found Francis Howard was, so there's a book, um, The Poison Bed by Elizabeth Fremantle came out, I forget, a few years ago. It's a novel also, like A Nut for Small Fishes, about Francis Howard. And so, but it's more kind of like a Gone Girl thriller version of it. You know, recommend that as well. Anyway, so this book came out and it was like, this is about this woman and she like poisoned this man maybe. And I was like, is this a true story? And then I looked at the Wikipedia page and then my life forever changed because I was like, what is this neckline? Who is this tits out person? And then when, like, as all of you, I would imagine, when you start looking at Frances Howard, you're just like, wait, why are her tits always out? And then it's like, oh, I'm sure that was just the style at the time. That was not the style at the time. She's just tits out Frances Howard. And that really, truly pivoted me into being like, oh, like there's really interesting people that are lesser known and I want to find them and learn about them. Um, Voopity asks, which vulgar history woman would be your best friend in real life if they were still alive, of course? So for this, I'm going to imagine a modern day context, like 2022. And what if this person had been born you know, to be an adult now versus when they were alive? So that is interesting because a lot of people became who they were because of the circumstance. So this is more like who was a person who, who was who they were just inherently no matter the circumstance. And I think I'm going to choose um, Cecilia of Sweden to be my best friend in real life because she just had fun. I think she'd be such a fun friend to have. Like, the various things that happened with her, like, there's a part that, like, the 12 dancing princesses, like, she just kept secretly having parties. Like, I think she somehow just, like, texted me and be like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Like, I'm picking up in five minutes. And I'm like, Cecilia, I'm in my pajamas. But then you go with her and you'd have so much fun. Yeah, Cecilia. I think Holland asks, who is someone in history you love to hate? Hmm. I mostly hate to hate. I don't think I love to hate. I don't know. In terms of history, it's like there's the women who I write about, not all of whom I admire, but none of whom I hate. There are men in history who I hate because they're awful. And that is why I do. So this asshole, you know, you know who I love to hate? Robert Dudley. He's like, he sucks, but he's not like malevolent, like a Hernan Cortez level person. Like Robert Dudley just sucks. He, his whole thing where he's just like, oh, Elizabeth, won't you like be my girlfriend or wife or whatever? And she's like, no, cause I'm the queen. And he's like, meh, I'll just go marry someone who looks like you and then kill her and then like marry someone else. Like he just sucks, but in a satisfying way. And he's not as awful to just hate to hate him. Like I hate Henry the eighth, 
like because he didn't have as much power he was just kind of this like dumbass himbo type serena asks what historical novel do you wish you could be a part of oh wow which historical novel so if i like if i was okay so like the events of a historical novel i'm gonna say tip for the hangman by allison epstein because i imagine i could like live in this kind of i'd love to live in like shakespearean england time but in a novel so i'm safe so i won't get like the plague or whatever um i think that would be fun to watch kit marlowe and what he's up to and also you get to see all the plays like which i think would be really cool to see those plays in the time they were done so if i was in the novel i'd just be like the wench who works at the bar or whatever who kind of like sees what's going on but like is outside of the drama that would be my choice so this is a great non-question but statement from sarah who says not a question but i kind of wish every episode could be about fredigand same honestly same like after i did the fredigand episodes i was like i'm done that's it i'm never gonna find a story this good again um but i have of course found lots of good stories since then but fredigand i i yeah that was like as much as Francis Howard, it was sort of like a turning point for me of like, oh, there are like lesser-known women in history who are interesting. Fred again was just like, oh, fuck yes. Just like, uh, you know, it was like, have I read about everyone interesting? Oh, guess what? No. Um, the Immaculate Witch asks, what's your favorite color? My answer is the color pink from Barbies. Like real Barbie pink. If you look at my Instagram, that will be apparent to you. Rosie asks, will there be a Queen Elizabeth I series? Um, maybe. I am, I truly don't know what the next season is going to entail. There will definitely be further seasons, but I'm really into the international thing right now. Queen Elizabeth I is someone who it's like, she's so well known, you know? It's like, I need to figure out a way to make that interesting for me to do. Because so many people have talked about it so well before. Madatulin asks, will you be looking into Southeast Asian history for an episode? Example, Cambodian, Laos, Vietnam, Thai. Um, I would love to. I read that question. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely should. And I do think after this international season, like I'm going to be keeping up looking at other countries. Like I, I really do. You know, when I see the statistics showing where all the people listening to this podcast live, I really want to help. I personally, firstly, I want to like learn about these places because I've never been there. But also I want to help um, elevate stories of people from other places. Anyway, so yes, yes. My answer is yes. I will be doing and later this season too, and we're gonna have the first like East Asian actually two two different people will be profiled later this season. Southeast Asian, hopefully soon as well. Um, Lover Bay 7 asks, which badass woman you have covered on the show would you like to meet the most? So just to meet someone, not to like, not a lunch, not like to have a conversation, but just like, who would I like to meet? Um, I would like to meet, um, I'm thinking Lady Mary Gray. I think it'd be really cool. Actually, she would be good for the conversation one too. She was... You know, like in her later years, like after she was out of jail and she's just like going around, didn't they say she wore like a yellow dress and she looked like a bee or whatever? I feel like, well, now I'm giving it a context. I have to give it a context. I can't just be like, meet someone, shake their hand and walk away. I feel like I'd like to go into her house and like have 
well, I guess I didn't have tea at that point because of like England hadn't started colonizing the East. But just go to her house and just like hang out and like, I don't know, just like have a chill afternoon. I think it'd be nice. Um, but also she's someone whose life is less catastrophic. So I think it would be a more chill, you know, like I'm not going to like Catherine Gray. Like, no, she was a hot mess. Jane Gray. No, like she was an asshole and also a mess. Isa says, is Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz in your radar? She should be. Answer. She is. So, and yeah, so some people ask for suggestions of, or offer suggestions. And I have got a huge long list of people who have been suggested. And thank you so much for that. Um, I forgot who was asking me, like, where do you find these like obscure women? And I'm just like, honestly, it's from the Tits Out Brigade, you know, like, I have reached the limit of like what I was personally able to figure out just by like looking, you know, when you look at enough books that are like 25 women from history, it's like, great. I know all 25 of them. I'm like, who else? Like who's less known to me? And the Tits Up Brigade has been phenomenal at bringing people to my attention. Uh, Victor's Crumb asks, will we, are we getting a Catherine de' Medici episode? And that I can answer. And the answer is yes. And the answer is soon. So not this season, like we're still doing international for the next what 10 weeks or whatever but what i'm hoping to do is like rather than just like disappearing into a void between seasons like i want to try to do at least one vulgar history episode every month like even between seasons and so i brought this up with on patreon and i had a list of kind of like here are people that i've written about before so i could like pretty easily do an episode without having to do like two weeks of research and catherine de medici was by far the most voted for person. So that's going to be coming sometime this summer. Probably. Yasmin asks, will you do a Tudor era season slash seasons? I'm dying to hear it from you. So that's again, it's like similar to the Elizabeth the first question where it's like, I could, okay. I'm never going to do the six wives of Henry the eighth season because I can't, because I've already done an episode about Catherine Parr and I reject doing an episode on Jane Seymour because on the basis that she's very boring. But I can definitely see having an Anne Boleyn moment, an Anne of Cleves moment, Catherine of Aragon moment, like sure. I could I could see those happening, but it wouldn't be all together probably. Um, I've done so many Tudor era people. There's like not that many left, but then like the War of the Roses, you know, Margaret Beaufort and stuff. I don't know. But again, those are some of the people who have written about before. So those might be like between the seasons people. So less of a season, but maybe just like every now and then super special. Um, Melanie asks, if you could live in any of the stories you've covered, which would it be if I could live? God, okay. <laughs> My instinct for so many of these is like in Jenga. And then I'm just like, no, because I would die. Like that was like a brutal world she lived in. So it's like, if I was going to live in one of these, I want to think of like, what's a place where it'd be like, okay. Um, One option would be if I lived in the palace in the era of Harem Sultan, not being, well, you know what? There wasn't concubines because she was his one and only. Yeah. So if I could live in like Top Capi Palace, um, just be like, I don't know, even being a servant there seems like would be like, not like as a female woman, the, the men the eunuchs had other stuff going on. But if I could be like one of the higher up servants or the like house manager or something in the world, in that world, I think that would be, I think that would be okay. Um, another option I'll just offer is um, Caroline of Brunswick, the part where she was living not at the Royal Palace, but in her own house. And she would like 
have parties all the time and everyone just hang out also seems like a pretty chill place to be. Aaron asks, any dream episodes that can't be done for logistical reasons, e.g. zilch info anywhere? Yes. <laughs> um, so many. So what I've explained to you about my process, sometimes I'm just like, oh, this sounds like a cool woman. And then you start looking and I'm like, well, maybe she is, but all that I can find is two sentences about her or like, well, we don't know her name. Maybe it was a person. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of people like that um, where there's just not enough. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. So I can't name them because it would just be like a potential person I looked at for an episode. And then I'm like, there's just nothing. Like there's nothing, there's nothing to dig into here for this person. So I don't remember who that person was because I just learned quickly that it wasn't someone that I would be able to do an episode about, which is disappointing sometimes when it seems like, oh man, this sounds like a cool person, but then also helps because there's like a lot of people out there. And if there's a lot written about everybody, then it would be hard for me to choose. SF Listra Sflistra asks, favorite non-history related thing slash activity? Great question. Because, you know, in terms of like the stuff about like costume dramas or like books and things, when I'm not working on vulgar history, I like do not do, I don't fuck with historical stuff. Like I can't, like I need to have that separation in my life because I need to, <laughs> it's very all encompassing. Like between the research and the recording and the editing and then just like keeping up with, you know, Instagram and whatever. It's just like, no, when I'm not doing vulgar history lately, I am watching Forged in Fire, which does have history. And actually it was really exciting. An episode I watched the other day, the final weapon they had to make was one that like was used by medieval Vikings. And I was like, wait, like the kind of medieval Vikings who Ethelflaed was up against? Totally it was that. I was just like, sounds like a nice connection, but Murder, She Wrote, um, Forged in Fire. These are the things. My other hobby. I don't know. I do like cooking, but I haven't had time to do a lot of cooking lately just for life-related reasons. And my other hobby is hanging out with Hepburn, who's right here. Someone had asked a while ago, like, put more Hepburn on the show. Like, Hepburn meow. It's like, she only meows when she's, like, really mad at me. And so the fact that she's quiet right now is actually very positive. Okay. So there's so many questions, but honestly, I'm living for this. This is really fun. Wolf and Fox 25 asks, what is your favorite non-boozy drink? Like your favorite tea or coffee? I have one right here that I'm sipping on. I love Earl Grey tea with milk and sugar. And I also love a London Fog, which if you don't know, is like hot steamed milk with Earl Grey tea in it. And then vanilla syrup added. Bliss. A dream. I love it. I also love, as I have discovered, um, Kashmiri chai, which is like, or the chai that they serve at the local Kashmiri restaurant, which is just like, I think there's like um, turmeric in it. Amazing. So good. Poppy Mave asks, what was it that got you into BTS? Love this question. I am totally into, so I love BTS. I love Blackpink. Those are my like go-to, just like hype me up, like listening, like while I'm doing anything, while I'm running, while I'm like, whatever. Love it. So what got me into BTS was my sister, who is really into BTS, was talking about it. And I was just like, what are you saying? So I watched a video. I was like, oh, that's a good video. And then I started and I was like, wait, there's seven of them. And then I was like, okay. And then I made a mission. I'm like, I'm going to learn who is who and what they're like. In so doing, I became totally enamored of them. I love what they do with their... Okay, firstly, I love their songs. I love their choreography. I love their stage shows. I also love um, the what they do with their fame 
and with being role models and how they, you know, give back to charity and how they're really like thoughtful and considerate and how they have a lot of songs that really touch on, you know, mental health and like the real feelings they're going through that lots of people are going through. I think it's really cool to have these seven men who are out there like having a good time, um, but also just like really leading by example. Their outfits are killer. I love their hair. I love their their videos. I love them so much. Oh, Rachel Root asked, who are the badass tits out Canadian women from history that you like? So this is, I did a little research for this as well, because I really wanted to be prepared for this question. So I have a little mini document to go through. I guess this is a good answer to like things, stories I want to tell, but there's not enough stuff to make an episode out of them. So briefly, some notable Canadian tits out situations. The Fille du Roi, which is French for the King's Daughters. Well, actually, sorry, stepping back, because I know a lot of you are not from Canada. So the history of Canada is similar to most every other country in like North, Central, and South America in that like there were indigenous people who lived here and then a variety of Europeans came over and the Europeans fought wars against each other and eventually one of them won. And in Canada, eventually it was the British, but for a long time... Uh, it was the French. The Spanish were never here. So it was between the French and the British. Anyway, so when the French were here, um, it was mostly men. And so they lived in, they called it New France. And that's kind of like the Canadian provinces on the East Coast. But then King Louis Fourteenth was like, um, how are we going to like develop this colony if everyone who lives here is men? We need like babies being born. So they... Um, got together a bunch of young women who were called the king's daughters um so their travel to the colony was paid for by the king and they kind of arrived with dowries that the king also paid for so they just kind of arrived and then uh, men chose them you know like the prettiest ones were chosen first some of them were never chosen stuff like that um the program was a resounding success so 1669 i think well okay in 1670 it was reported that most of the girls who had come there a year before were already pregnant by 1671, a total of nearly 700 children were born to the Fils du Roi. And so the population, like the colony, was suddenly like men, their young wives, and a whole lot of babies. So ever since the inception of the program, there was kind of a misunderstanding or a misapprehension that the women were um, like sex workers. But um, this was sort of like people were confusing, I think, with what was happening with, I don't know the history of Australia well enough. Was it around the same time where that was like a penal colony, like women criminals were sent there? So there's kind of a misunderstanding that it was like criminal women were being sent there. So there's about 800 fee du roi, um, and of them, only one was ever charged with prostitution. And she was charged. Her name was Catherine Gouchelin. And she was charged with prostitution because she'd been left by her husband and had no other way to support herself. So very much like Hallie Rubenhold, the five vibes where it's like, she, uh, let's see, she had children out of wedlock. She had marriage contracts canceled. Anyway, she married again. And this is just a fun part of the, at the bottom of the Wikipedia. It's like notable descendants of the Fille du Roi because they had all these children. Um, notable descendants from this program, Hillary Clinton, Angelina Jolie, Madonna, Chloe Sevigny, and former Dancing with the Stars host, Tom Bergeron. I put these in historical order just because especially if you don't know Canadian history, you'd be like, who was there when? So the next woman I'm going to talk about for Canadian history is called Thanaldotur, who was a Dene woman, which is, and was then also, an indigenous group 
living in Canada. So she was born around 1697. So in early 1713, her community where she's living were attacked by the Cree, which is another tribe. Um, the women were captured. Among them was the Nelditer. So she was captured. Um, after spending the winter with them, she and one other woman escaped and they attempted to rejoin their people. But it was too cold. They were hungry also. They endured a year of hardship. My God. So I guess just trying to find their people again, but also like being... So this is like modern day Manitoba, Canada, which you could Google. But it's like towards the middle of Canada and the northern part is like really cold. Anyway, so eventually her companion, whoever it was, like her sister or her friend or whoever died. Anyway, she was then discovered by goose hunters from the Hudson's Bay Company, which not to get into this whole thing, but... Hudson's Bay, like the bay, is a a company still in Canada, and they were... So Canada was early... The British showed up, and they were, like, hunting for furs and beaver pelts, and it was, like, a business. It wasn't, like, a country. It was, like... So it's different from what happened in the U.S. Anyway, so... And this is... But this is why we know about her, because people from the Hudson's Bay Company, as well as her own people, recorded some of the stuff that she did. So... They, like, rescued her, and then she was brought to James Knight, who was a director of the Hudson's Bay Company, who needed... So, the reason they rescued her, I think, was because they needed an interpreter um, to help them try to get some more trade agreements or whatever. So, it's a very, like, Melanzine situation. Like, they needed her for her language skills. So, effectively, what was happening is the Dene and the Cree were at war, and the Hudson's Bay Company wanted them to not be at war, so they could, like, buy furs from all of them. The Naldeter could speak both of these languages and apparently also English. And so they brought her along to help negotiate kind of a peace treaty. And she did amazing Malancine vibes. So she was given many gifts uh, to present to her people once the negotiations were complete. Knight started referring to her as slave woman Joan after Joan of Arc uh, because she was like a woman who was did cool stuff. And that was the only woman that he knew of who had done cool stuff. So the title slave woman itself came from the fact that she had been a slave or enslaved by the Cree. And then, yeah, so anyway, her translation helped out. And then, so initially, Knight intended to provide passage for her and her people so they could return back to their land. But um, there was a harsh winter and then she died of a fever in 1717. He stated that although the weather was nice, it was the most melancholiest by the loss of her. So he really relied on her so much. And then he also said in his diaries he had difficulty finding another translator. Um, for that time, he ended up spending above 60 skins value in goods to replace her because she was so good at her job. Then, so also because there were... So French people were here, English people were here, and they also brought over... Um, enslaved black people. So one of these people was Marie-Joseph Angelique. So she was born around 1705 in Madeira, which was a Portuguese colony in the Atlantic. She was sold to a Flemish man who brought her to, quote, the New World. So she lived in New England before being sold in 1725 to an important French businessman from Montreal named Francois Poulon de Francheville. And after his death... She belonged to his wife, Therese. So slavery in New England and New France wasn't 
it was primarily a domestic affair is how it's described. So it's more, more like house things versus like working on plantations, like what was happening in the U.S. Um, so she had three children, but they all died in infancy. The father listed in the baptismal records was Jacques César, a black slave from Madagascar, who belonged to Ignace Gamelin, who is a friend of Angelique's owner. Notably, it is not known if these two were lovers by choice or whether they were forced by their owners to have children. So Angelique also had a lover who was a white laborer who is an indentured servant from France called Claude Thibault. December 1733, Angelique asked her mistress for her freedom, um, but Madame de Francheville denied this infuriated Angelique who went, quote, on a small reign of terror in the household. So this is from a book called The Hanging of Angelique. Spoiler who says she talked back to her owner, threatened her with death by roasting, quarreled with other servants in the house, threatened them too with burning, and made life so unbearable for her fellow servant Marie-Louise Poiret that she quit her job. So, um, being unhappy, so her mistress sold Angelique to François-Étienne Cugnet of Quebec City for 600 pounds of gunpowder. She was waiting for the ice to thaw on the St. Lawrence River in order to send Angelique by boat. Do you notice Canadian history has a lot of like cold weather related things? It does. So it was rumored that he was going to in turn sell Angelique into enslavement in the West Indies. Upon hearing news that, of, of her sale, Angelique threatened to burn down her mistress's house with her in it. Soon after, Angelique ran away with Thibault. That's the white lover. So they set fire to Angelique's... They allegedly set fire to Angelique's bed um, at the house where she'd been staying and fled in the direction of New England where they hoped to catch a ship bound for Europe. Two weeks later, they were tracked down by police. She was returned to her owner to await transportation to Quebec City and Thibault was sent to jail. Once she returned to Montreal, Angelique continued to state she would burn down her mistress's house because she wanted to be free. Then, on the evening of Saturday, April 10th, 1734, a large portion of Montreal, like the city of Montreal, the Merchant's Quarter, was destroyed by fire. At least 46 buildings, mainly homes, were burnt, plus the convent and hospital of the Hotel Dieu de Montreal. Angelique was accused of starting the fire and arrested by police on April 11th. She was taken to court. She was charged with arson. Um, in the French legal system, at this time, the accused was presumed guilty. There were no trials by jury. Um, lawyers were banned from practicing in the colony, so she's 29 years old, and she was brought up on trial. So it was one of the most spectacular trials to come out of 18th century Canada. Over 24 witnesses were called, including a five-year-old girl, and they all stated that they believed she had set the fire because at one point or another, she told them that she would. So she's found guilty and sentenced to death by having her hands cut off and then to be burned alive. But then this was appealed. And so instead, she would be tortured, hanged, and then her body burned, and then she was executed. So they tortured her until she confessed to it. But this is the thing. So, like, she burned the bed, and then there's this big fire in Montreal, and they're like, guess it was her. So she was like, this is where it's all alleged, right? It is possible that she did not set the fire, but she made an ideal scapegoat for the crime. She's black, enslaved, poor, and a foreigner. So in every aspect was a social outcast. And also she had been... Um, you know, asking to be freed and stuff. So her owner was mad at her. She had no rights at all. But so it, potentially she was framed for all of this. But on the other hand, she might have set the fire because she had many grievances. She kept trying to escape and she had apparently um, told numerous people that she was going to do this. So centuries later, she has become a symbol of black resistance and freedom. So that's another Canadian heroine. And then 
Marie Marguerite Rose was born in Guinea, and then she she was sold into enslavement, and then she was purchased by a French naval officer posted in Louisbourg, which is in was in New France, so like in what is now Cape Breton in Nova Scotia in Canada. So she was given a French name, so we just know her by this name, Marie Marguerite Rose. So she was around 19 years old at this time. And then for the next 19 years, she performed domestic duties for this household, which included up to 12 children. During this time, she was pregnant. We don't know who the father is. And she had a son called Jean-Francois, who uh, was also born into slavery. He died age 13. So the thing with Lewisburg is that, so it's still like a living history museum that I love in Nova Scotia. So it was a French military colony and then the English attacked it and it fell. So in 1745. So at that point, Marie and her son, along with the family that they worked for, moved to France. And then in 1749, so four years later, they returned to Louisbourg. So the English took it over, but then the French won it back. So she was freed in 1755, at which point she married Jean-Pierre Laurent, a Mi'kmaq man, which is an indigenous group in Nova Scotia. Then she and her husband rented a house and they began a tavern in Louisbourg. So Lewisburg being a military base, you know, there's lots of men there who want to hang out at a tavern, obviously. So their tavern had a diverse clientele, but then she died only two years after being freed. She's buried at the fortress of Lewisburg after her death and inventory was taken, um, which showed that she had an extensive collection of used clothing and a pair of half-made woolen stockings. Her other possessions were balls of handmade soap and iron, supplies for dyeing clothes, six pounds of sugar, and a cookbook, despite her inability to read, apparently. Another Canadian heroine is Rose Fortune, was a child born in or around Philadelphia of runaway slaves in 1774. Her parents uh, became black loyalists during the American Revolution, so that's like, they're fighting on the like British side, so they pledged to fight on that side in exchange for their freedom. So when she was around 10, Rose Fortune was around approximately 3,000 black loyalists who sailed from New York City to Nova Scotia. Uh, which was the where a lot of the current modern-day black um, people in Nova Scotia, that's who their ancestors were. So she had at least three children and is thought to have been married twice. At around 50 years of age, she began a business transporting luggage in a wheelbarrow from the ferry docks to hotels and houses. By the early 1840s, she was using horse-drawn carriages to convey the luggage. She became the first female police officer in North America when she instituted and enforced curfews to keep the streets safe at night. So she was just like... It's not like she went to police academy and became a police officer. She just like started like um, enforcing rules on her own because that's what she wanted to do. She's remembered for her business sense, strength, and courage. Um, Emily Carr is another notable Canadian woman. So she was an artist born in 1871. Um, she did not receive widespread recognition for her work initially. So a lot of what she painted first were um, the lands and the like totem poles and things of the indigenous people, the Pacific Northwest coast people at the time weren't into those paintings. Then she switched to doing um, landscapes and forest scenes. And then people kind of liked her, her painting sold a bit better. So although she is now considered a Canadian legend, she was a famous eccentric at the time. So she had a lot of pets. She had a beat up old pram, like a stroller that she would take around downtown Victoria, which is like on Vancouver Island on the West Coast of Canada. 
Um, and in her pram would be dogs, cats, birds. And she also had a pet monkey named Wu, who she had adopted in 1923. Um, and there's a really cute statue of her in Victoria. And Wu, the monkey, is there with her, along with one of her dogs, whose name is Billy. And then finally, Viola Desmond was born in 1914. Um, she's in Nova Scotia as well. So in 1946, she, I think she was a hairstylist. Anyway, she went to a movie theater and she bought a ticket for the like main floor of the movie theater, but black people were supposed to sit in the balcony. She refused to leave the whites only area of this theater. She offered to pay more money to buy a more expensive seat, seat like to stay in that same section. Anyway, eventually she was convicted of a minor tax violation for the one cent tax difference between the seat she had paid for and the seat she used, which was more expensive, but it was just bullshit to arrest her because she was black. Anyway, she is one of the most publicized incidents of racial discrimination in Canadian history and helped start the modern civil rights movement in Canada. And now she is on the $10 bill in Canada. So Tiffany asks, what historical figure would you want to talk or drink with? And I've answered who I want to talk to, but I haven't answered who do I want to drink with. Let me look at my list here because that's a whole other situation. I think, hmm, like who would just be like a good time? I feel like Njinga before she became super Christian would be a good choice. I think Cleopatra would be incredible to hang out with. I think like if we're talking about like hang out no, honestly, I was like, maybe Catalina de Arezzo. No, like she would stab me, obviously. So yeah, Cleopatra, that's my choice. Uh, a few more questions. So actually, this is a great statement from Seedling Stitch, who says, what if you minted your own coin in the style of many of our esteemed historical figures? I love that. A coin minting moment for myself, like new merch idea, like merch with like a coin with my face on it. Incredible. Anyway, but the rest of this is she says, what if you did that and then called it titcoin? Love it. I'm going to answer one more question. And that question is from Victor's Crumb again. Favorite thing to bake? They also ask, what's your favorite thing to cook? My favorite thing to bake is... I like chocolate chip cookies. I like eating chocolate chip cookies. And so, which inherently means you need to bake chocolate chip cookies because I only like them when they're just fresh right out of the oven. Favorite thing to bake. Favorite thing to cook. I love cooking. I love, um, I love finding recipes just on like random Instagram chef pages and then making them and then seeing if I like it or not. My favorite thing to cook right now is so patty jinich is a mexican chef i think her website is like her name.com yeah patty jinich.com p-a-t-i-j-i-n-i-c-h.com she has um lots of recipes there some include ingredients that <laughs> mexican ingredients that i can't acquire in like saskatoon Anyway, she has some really good soup recipes my favorite thing is i love i love making a soup where you can just like let something um you chop everything up, put it in the pot, and it just simmers. I love that it just, like, the pot does all the work. I don't have, like, an Instapot or anything, but so just, like, literally, like, you know, you're, like, Dutch oven. Just everything simmering. I love it. And then at the end, you just, like, ladle it out, and it's delicious. She has some really good soups for that. And that was my 10,000 million questions answered. I'm sorry if I didn't get around to your question. There was clearly a lot of questions. And this was our super special, like, double length 
episode. So yeah, thank you for being the Tits Up Brigade. Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping. Like it was because of you literally that we reached 1 million listens, which is a wild number that I find kind of incomprehensible. Ever since the Catalina stuff with like talking about how there was the movie and it's just like Maria Felix and her like sexy lady pants. I've been posting on the Instagram stories, like side note, if you want to keep up with me, like on the socials, like most of the action is literally in the Instagram stories. That's where I post most of my content. Um, still haven't figured out TikTok yet. Maybe well one day. And I am on there if you want to follow me for the one day I do. Anyway, so I've been thinking and posting there a lot about sexy lady pants. And so the pandemic is obviously still going on. I'm going to say what I always say at the end of this episode, but I feel like pants on, tits out. I don't know. Is there something there? Like pants? Anyway, so thank you so much for for submitting questions. It's really nice to like share these things with you. And we'll be back next week with a real episode. So until then, keep your mask on and your tits out. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.